Um, and a lot of teachers don't know, you know, how to support academic language development or how to teach listening, especially for multilingual learners. Because, you know, in early grades, a lot of the texts and stories are typically shorter. They're very engaging. There's usually a lot of visuals or illustrations to support their comprehension and new vocabulary. But as students move into higher grade levels, um, especially in second, secondary where Paul, where Paul teaches, uh, we must help them build listening stamina and those note-taking skills. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast from Elevation Education that explores how we can help make an impact on our nation's highest growing student demographic, multilingual learners. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. Before we introduce this week's guests, I want to let everyone know that this is our last episode of this season, which is season eight of Highest Aspirations. We're already working on next season, and we think you'll be happy with the interviews we have lined up for you starting in around mid-August. While you wait, please remember that you can find all 200-ish episodes of Highest Aspirations wherever you get your podcasts. They're all evergreen. Um, They all kind of, even though they may have been recorded a year ago, they're all still highly relevant today. So go ahead and check those out if you're looking for something to do over the summer. It has been such a pleasure bringing you these interviews, and we look forward to doing many more. As always, we also invite you to explore our multimedia resources on our community. You can find transcripts of every episode, accompanying blog posts, videos, collaboration opportunities, and much more at elevationeducation.com. And you go to the community tab and you'll find all the information there. Those resources are always free and they are available whenever you need them. And finally, if you want to learn more about Elevation's products, people have been asking me that, email us at info at elevationeducation.com. We'd be happy to discuss how we can partner with you to help your students achieve their highest aspirations. On this final episode of Highest Aspirations, we catch up with two great educators from Sanger Unified School District in California to discuss how they are intentionally designing listening comprehension activities that help students build important skills that will serve them in school and beyond. Here are some of the questions we'll explore in this interview. Why is it necessary to explicitly teach and foster listening skills specifically for multilingual learners? What tools and activities can be used to practice listening in a culturally responsive and engaging way for all students? And what do authentic conversations and listening comprehension activities sound like? And how can educators more effectively encourage these in their students? Those topics and much more with Teresa Blanchard and Paul Hernandez from Sanger Unified School District in California, two educators who have designed and implemented successful strategies to help their students succeed in a variety of ways. This is one of those episodes, and I suppose there are many, that I left really, really invigorated um, by what Teresa and Paul had to say. They're really passionate about the work they're doing on behalf of their multilingual learners and really all their students. So I hope that there's something that you can take away and apply in your own practice from this episode. As always, thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. The conversation continues when Season 9 begins in August, but every episode from Seasons 1 to 8 is available for you wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of all of us at Elevation Education, we wish you a happy and safe summer. We hope you have some time to relax and recharge. You certainly deserve it. Teresa Blanchard and Paul Hernandez, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thank you, Steve. It's nice to be here. Yeah, good morning. Nice to be here. Good morning is right. You all uh, are joining us at 6.30 in the morning, Pacific Coast time. I have the luxury of being on the East Coast where it's about 9.30 And Paul, you and I were talking about before we started uh, about how 
and Teresa, you too, you kind of get in the habit of getting up early when you're a teacher and you're in education. And then Teresa, you said when you have kids, so you have that quiet time. So hopefully uh, that's, that's working out for both of you. I really, really appreciate it. Um, this has been a long time coming. People may not know that, but we've been talking about this for a long time. So let's, let's dive right in. Um, we've talked a lot about academic language on highest aspirations. It's a, a big part of what we do at Elevation. And for good reason, it's, it's a key component of academic success for all students, but particularly for, for English learners. So my first question is, is how are you going about connecting listening comprehension, which is really one of the major topics of this episode, um, those activities with the acquisition of, of academic language? Well, Steve, over the past, I would say six or seven years, listening and speaking have become both an area of focus and a strength for our district. We believe that oral language is an integral part of balanced literacy um, and the balanced literacy approach. And listening comprehension is a prerequisite skill for reading. Uh, Sometimes I know districts and teachers might claim that they integrate listening standards or activities into their content lessons or units. But however, we we feel like listening skills must be taught explicitly and really modeled uh, for students at every grade level. Teachers can strategically use audio stories and podcasts as scaffolds to help students access unfamiliar topics or challenging text. And teachers must also develop classroom norms and routines that allow students to fully engage with their peers during speaking and listening activities. I know too, Paul, you can probably share several um, of those kind of listening comprehension activities that you've done. Yeah, so my perspective is from the secondary level. Um, I teach high school, um, ELD. And so from that perspective, we build a curriculum um, that is that is based on, of course, the ELD standards. Um, We want to mirror our state testing um, and then just overall language skills. So so with that, we try to build like a a balanced curriculum that hits all four domains, reading, writing, speaking, listening. Um, And, yeah, we have noticed that, um, you know, listening has been um, one of our strengths um, that we're continuing to improve. Um, but it, it goes hand in hand with some of our, our other, you know, like writing skills that we have. So, um, in general, when we're like, say we're building a, a unit, you know, we build a thematic unit and we try to integrate, um, listening tasks as much as possible. So, um, and then from a social science perspective, I also teach social science. Um, you know, we, we use listening tasks, um, to support, uh, or even like supplementary, um, again, that second guide, um, another way to just learn content. Um, so our district, our, our high school has been using it in different ways. Um, but overall, we really are just trying to build, uh, you know, in social science, we're building uh, context, uh, comprehension, and content vocabulary is, is tough. So we use a lot of listening tasks to support that. Um, and, and again, when students need more support with reading, we just couple that with uh, a listening task um, or we have that, that focus um, to really support our students. Yeah, as you both were speaking, I took a couple notes here and, and I don't know if you actually used these words. I think you used a couple of them, but what I'm taking out of that is that listening has to be strategically uh, integrated. Um, it has to be deliberate. Uh, it has to be structured within a unit when you build it, you're backwards designing something. And then the last thing I wrote is it's, it's like a, combina- a combination approach, right? Paul, you were just talking about students having trouble with reading, or even if they're not, to have listening um, to go with that is is crucial. It's key. Um, and I'll, I'm just reflecting back to my time, Paul, you and I were talking about, I was a high school Spanish teacher. 
and you know, teaching, for example, getting students prepared for the AP exam, you have all four domains. And if you're not focusing on all four domains, you're going to miss something. And they're all kind of interconnected. Um, and then, of course, within speaking, you have interpersonal and then you have kind of formal speaking. So that's where we get to the academic language. So um, we're speaking the same language here, which is great. But I love the idea of making it deliberate, because I think one of the main reasons that we're speaking to you and others about this topic is listening can be one of those things that is kind of not deliberately placed into building a unit or a lesson, for example. Um, so kind of a, along that line, I'd love to hear um, you, you, you all seem, it seems like you've kind of cracked the code and you continue to improve and iterate on this, but what challenges do teachers face when they're trying to, um, to work on building students' listening skills, especially if they're like trying to do it on their own, which happens quite frequently without a lot of resources. Um, and primarily when they're focusing on kind of increasing that academic language. You know, Teresa touched upon that whole modeled piece. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Um, we need to teach and show students um, how to listen. Um, and it sounds, it sounds odd, but uh, listening is one of those uh, skills that you need to be locked in or focused the entire time. Um, so what we do is we deliberately teach just a few skills um, that they can use uh, in any classroom, um, anywhere in life, really. But um, and we want them to ultimately use these for you know some of the state testing or even further. But um, you know we try to just focus in on a, a couple skills like, hey, when you're listening or you're watching a video, you, we're you know we're going to be deliberately taking notes. Um, so that skill in itself of taking notes while you're listening um, is something that we practice and we reinforce with our students. Um, and then this is across the board for any classroom as well. Um, you know, another thing we work on is when we're listening, we're, we're trying to catch that main idea, keywords, vocabulary. Um, so that is another focus as they're listening. Um, so when we teach it, we're, we're, we're constantly think, um, talking about being actively listening, um, being actively engaged. Um, this is just a different skill from anything else. Like if you're, or if you're writing, um, you may need to take a quick break and, you know, uh, clear your head. But with listening, you really need to be locked in to really understand, um, you know, what is, uh, what is being said or what is being stated in a particular audio. So um, what we try to do is what we, what we realized is we can't, uh, we need a model. We need to make sure that students really understand those skills. And then from there, we can monitor their progress and really identify those specific areas um, where they need to improve. And I know I've, I've been truly impressed as an ELD coach um, for our district to see Paul's growth in understanding what it takes to teach uh, listening specifically and how we do need to give students like a reason to listen or a purpose. Um, and a lot of teachers don't know, you know, how to support academic language development or how to teach listening, especially for multilingual learners. Because, you know, in early grades, a lot of the texts and stories are typically shorter. They're very engaging. There's usually a lot of visuals or illustrations to support their comprehension and new vocabulary. But as students move into higher grade levels, um, especially in second, secondary where Paul, where Paul teaches, uh, we must help them build listening stamina and those note-taking skills. We have learned that it's important to chunk the amount of information that students are listening to or processing, especially for the very first time. And most students need to listen and engage with new content or text multiple times before they can make meaning of it or use those new vocabulary uh, words or terms correctly in context when they're speaking and writing. And I think that's the goal for our students. Yeah, wow, there's so much there. I mean, 
I, I guess I'll start with like the, you you mentioned active listening, Paul, right? Which we hear all the time, both. And then before you mentioned that, you mentioned the idea of students can use these skills in a variety of ways, certainly for state assessments and to, to do well and to, you know, reclassify whatever the case may be. But I mean, active listening and then couple that with the idea of being locked in, as you said, I mean, we can all relate to a situation where we weren't all locked in and we missed vital information that could be in a relationship. I've certainly been there. My wife will tell you that, um, or my kids, where I was like, what, what just happened? Or, you know, in school, it's hard, it's hard to do. And it's a skill that you need to teach. I remember reading a book on active listening. I forget what it was now. And it like blew my mind because I realized all of the things that they talked about, I was doing, thinking about what I was going to say next. And as a student, you you have to try to process, right? Like if you're going to be asked to be responding to something, it's so tempting to stop listening and, and prepare yourself to say what you want to say, especially if you're somebody who really wants to participate. So I just think that that so many of the things that you just talked about are, are crucial. I'm going to ask a follow-up question here because I got curious. You, um, one of the things that I did as uh, as a high school Spanish teacher, um, I incorporated certainly note-taking when listening, but I also once in a while, and this is like old school and I think frowned upon by many people, once in a while I do like a, like a transcription exercise. Like let's listen to this 30-second chunk and see what you can get down and not certainly not for an assessment or any or any like high stakes thing is that something that you that you ever do or that you'd promote and feel free to tell me that it's crazy and you'd never do it uh were you referring to like having uh just a shorter audio or having the students having the actual transcript in front of them well having transcripts in front of them is is great and phenomenal and that kind of goes with what you talked about with listening and 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 um and reading at the same time i'm talking about actually having them listen to something and kind of try to write down exactly what they're hearing. We have not. Um, we have not tried that. I don't think that's a crazy idea because um, that will also really just push this level of, of focus for a student. Um, but yeah, we have not tried that yet. That's that is interesting. I would love to hear more about it. How to go for you? Good, but I think if we, you could definitely like, for lack of a better term, overdose on it. I mean, I think it's something that used to be done quite frequently, like when it was strict translation, learning like cognate, I mean, um, excuse me, conjugations and translating and transcribing, not a good combo for language learning, but elements of that, it went well, like I, the students liked it, as long as you don't do it too much. I know in the ELD standards, actually, um, kind of in that appendix section that not always everyone reads, there's some really good um, strategies. And this is something that I know we've done more at the elementary level, where we call it text reconstruction, and they listen to either the teacher reads aloud a text or a passage, or you play like a podcast or kind of like a listen wise um, type of story, and they take notes. Um, but the first time that that you play the audio, uh, you just have them listen. So round one, they just listen. Round two, they take notes. Round three, they check with their partner, talk about the notes that they took. And sometimes there's really um, some amazing teachable moments and conversations about how different students take notes and why we can't sometimes, um, you know, write down everything that we are hearing um, at the same time because our brain is processing and our hands can't keep up um, often. But, you know, taking uh, phrases or maybe even having vocabulary there for students um, that, you know, you want them to listen for. And then the job would be um, that the partner and the um, student would be able to replicate and write or reconstruct the text that mm -hmm. they heard. And then you show them at the end, 
you know, how close are we to the actual text? And though if we're not exactly the same, did we say the same thing? Yeah. And there's a lot that you can unpack there as a teacher, um, especially for uh, English language development. So we'll have to maybe try that out with our ALD team um, in a future unit or lesson. Um, in in uh, history, when I used to teach a Sadai uh, specific class for, for history, we did a version of a text reconstruction with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, so it was very similar to the, the steps that Teresa is, is describing. Um, but in the end, we were trying to retell that story, but really focusing on the, the people and the, the main vocabulary for that comprehension. Yeah, you're you're talking about activities that are that are far more um, structured in 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 a good way, right? That you're and and I think that you mentioned two things that I think would be important in this kind of activity. One is working in groups and seeing what the kind of collective group can come up with, and two, listening a variety of times, right? You could never ask a student whether they be a student taking Spanish as a foreign language or um, an English learner trying to learn English to say, "Hey, listen to this thirty second clip and try to write down everything you can one time," right? That's impossible for anybody. Um, but it's an interesting, I don't know. It's interesting. So report back. Let me know if you do something like that. I'd love to hear how it went. And if it totally flops, that's fine. I'll take, that's how we (laughs) learn. If you, if you start small with like a couple sentences, especially, you know, with, you know, students that might not have very, you know, um, robust vocabulary or familiarity with the, with the topic. And then you can, by the end of the year, grow or stretch their listening um, capacity and their text reconstruction. Um, It's kind of nice to do like a pre kind of activity and set the baseline and see how much we can get out of our students as we practice and use some of those strategies um, consistently throughout the school year. Yeah, for sure. And while I'm tempted to stay on this topic, you just kind of prompted me to the next thing that I want to talk about, Teresa, which is, um, assessing uh, and tracking student skills. And Paul, you had mentioned that earlier about how to monitor it. So curious about that. I mean, it's one thing to actually deliberately incorporate these lessons into structured units, or sorry, that these these listening comprehension activities into, into units. That's hard enough for some people, but then how do you go about, it's such a hard thing to track and to assess. So how do you go about doing that? We know that with re- like receptive skills such as listening can be very difficult to assess because we often ask students to talk or write about what they've heard after they've listened in order to measure the comprehension. So there's always this connection. Listening and speaking skills are so intertwined. So it's hard for us to say that we just teach listening. You know, often we, we do a lot of oral language development, which is listening and speaking combined. Um, but there are many assessments and tools that we've tried out um, in different grade levels to varying degrees of success. Um, that we use to measure the listening skills of our multilingual learners and our students. Um, Our English learners obviously have our state English language development assessment, and that's called the LPAC. Um, We we have oral language scores, which, you know, maybe we can talk about a little bit later Mm -hmm. um, of what that's comprised of and and how those tasks are uh, measuring uh, listening skills explicitly. And then we also came up with about six or seven years ago, um, something called the language matrix. And we've embedded this actually in Elevation, um, our kind of multilingual uh, EL data uh, platform. And we actually push out um, a form to teachers every trimester at the elementary grades to give them a chance to, to reflect on what they notice about their students speaking and, and listening skills. Um, so the, uh, the language matrix is a crosswalk between the ELA speaking and listening standards 
Um, and there's six of those, and then the ELD um, standards and proficiency levels. So it's been a really neat way for teachers to see, okay, this it is my responsibility to teach these ELA standards. I have a box on the report card that I must report. How do I assess? So it kind of gave us a, almost like a rubric um, to help standardize um, some of the listening um, grades that we were putting on the report card. Um, and then we also use other formative ELD assessments. Um, you know, and there's a lot out there that, that districts um, might use. I know, Paul, you have a lot um, of things that you do in your classroom. Yeah, we, we definitely lean on um, and use every bit of elevation uh, to just really figure out where our students are, like their baseline, where they're gonna start in the beginning of the year. Um, and then we to track them as they go. So uh, for sure, elevation. Um, and then what we, what we do at the beginning of the year um, is we set goals with our students. So we sit down and we look at the four domains, uh, where they land, where they've scored in the past on, on various assessments. Um, and then we set goals. So not only are you know, us as teachers, even the district, we're monitoring them, but the students themselves are, are aware of where they are and they have a plan where they want to be uh, potentially in a few months or by the mm -hmm. end of the year. Um, and, you know, in the classroom, we have for our ELD PLC, uh, we've, we've used a various ways for like grading. Um, so we've at one point we've had a, a listening grade, so specific. Uh, and we've also used, I know you touched upon uh, just like the uh, world language department, you would use something like an interpersonal skill mm -hmm. um, or a presentational skill, those types of things. And so we've, we are still trying to figure out what would be the best way that we can, we can monitor students and their, their specific scores, um, but particularly how it translates to grades. Um, and then also just in the classroom, you know, we've built various listening tasks, um, but the nice thing is we try to model the way that uh, an assessment is built very similar to like ListenWise. Um, so the nice thing with ListenWise, you have, uh, some of them have like a quiz mm -hmm. and you can pull some reports as you know, but, um, but it's, it's great because it's going to mirror some of the things that they're going to see on the LPAC. Um, so they'll give them a score for um, literal vocabulary, the main idea, um, and then inference. So those types of things we can be specific, talk about in our PLC. Um, we can say, hey, our students are, are struggling still with this main idea. Um, and then we can go back and, and assess those students or um, reteach, you know, just you know, basic uh, great teaching practices. What we want to be doing that specifically with listening. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you're pulling from a variety of, of resources and tools that you have at your disposal. I mean, going from what I most recently heard to what I heard from Teresa, I mean, I think it's great that there's some, a little, I mean, I'm biased, but a little collaboration with world language because those those rubrics, and I haven't seen them in a long time, or they're not rubrics, they're scoring guidelines, I think they're called now, but they're, they're actually quite useful. Um, you know, in order to track someone, what I used to do old school is I'd had them printed out and then I'd highlight kind of where the student was. And now, of course, we could nerd out on Elevation Forever and the, and the Elevation employee part of me wants to talk about that language matrix and how you got it in there, but that's not going to be relevant to our entire audience. So we'll have that conversation another time. But you're clearly using the tools that are available to you, Elevation being one of them, ListenWise being the other. Uh, and I think this is key in a way that fits in with the goals that you have. You're not like taking the technology and saying, we have this technology, what are we going to do with it? You clearly have said, 
we have these goals with listening, we have to achieve them. What technology can we use? And how can we probably in some cases harass and convince the folks at Elevation to build something for you that that is going to work the right way, which I think is 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 good. And harass is the wrong word. It's just convince <laughs> and persuade because it helps us learn. So um, everyone at Elevation has been very responsive. We're very happy partners. <laughs> good, good. Yeah, that's, a, that's nice to hear. Um, okay, so I, I want to stay on assessments, but zoom out a little bit. Um, in California, um, reclassification is obviously extremely important. Uh, in other states, they call exiting the Yale program. In any, whatever the situation is, that's what we want because the research shows that students who are reclassifying or exiting Yale programs are, are going to be generally um, more successful academically and then later. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how, first, the state of California is assess assessing listening skills and what that means for preparing your English learners to reclassify and therefore, at least statistically, um, become more successful academically? Sure. Um, the English Language Proficiency Assessments of California, there's an S because there's uh, three of them. Um, that's the LPAC, as you've heard us kind of mention that acronym uh, previously. It has four domains, um, listening, speaking, reading, and writing, uh, which are embedded and tied to our ELD standards. Um, students are required to get an overall four on the summit of LPAC out of four levels in order to be considered for reclassification, as you've mentioned. They also receive an oral language score, which is a combination or combined score of speaking and listening. So as we talked about also, you know, that just interconnection um, or, you know, it, it's hard to assess one without the other. And there are tasks and domains that are separate, but you see when you look at them um, that, you know, students are listening to an audio um, passage or recording and then they're responding or they're listening to the test examiner ask them a question and then they're responding. So there's definitely um, kind of a combination, but we really look at those oral language scores. And as a district, as we mentioned earlier, we have seen that students are um, a lot stronger in their oral language scores on LPAC um, versus in their written language um, score, which is a combination of reading and writing. Um, but in the listening domain, English learners must answer comprehension questions after listening to short exchanges, stories, classroom conversations, and oral presentations. Um, the listening tasks we found start with more informal conversations and topics, mm -hmm. but they quickly progress to more academic topics that you would hear, obviously, in the more you know formal classroom setting. Students must also listen to a student's support and opinion in grades six through 12, and they must uh, listen uh, to um, a, some, an academic presentation. So uh, it's also assessed listening in the speaking domain through tests such as um, the summarize an academic presentation, which is usually based on some sort of science or social studies uh, topic. And now instead of just one of those tasks, they have two on, on our assessment. So that's really challenging. Um, visuals are provided thankfully, but students must be able to summarize the main points and key details after listening to an extended um, science or social studies presentation. We've discovered that this task is challenging even for fluent English only, you know, adults. Um, yeah, yeah. That, you know, we practice with sample questions with our teachers and they're just like blown away yeah. um, during professional development and training. So it's definitely a helpful, um, you know, way to get teachers to understand how this is being assessed on the state assessment and what sometimes is holding our students back from, re from reclassification. That is a 
powerful, powerful lesson. And I'll make the comparison again with the AP exam. I mean, I remember the first time going to a workshop and Institute and the person who was presenting said, okay, you're going to do this. And I was like, how, how am I 11th and 12th graders doing this? Same thing right. with the, with the, with those assessments. Sorry, Paul, I, I, I bet you have something else to say there. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just definitely add, um, that, that combination, um, is really important where, you know, we're going to, I would say this, it, it's, we, when we're building our curriculum, um, we don't want to just necessarily teach the test, but we want to get our students prepared for the test. So there's a, a balance there. Um, so we, you know, we try to, we want them to experience the, the, what they're going to see on the test beforehand. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we have to put them through those challenging, uh, tasks. Um, you know, one example is like on the test, they, they have one shot, they get to listen to a task one time. Um, and that's not the case on other assessments for our state. Um, and that's not the case for, you know, in their classrooms either. So, um, what we try to do is just give them the opportunity to see what they can do in those areas, really just focusing on the skills. Um, but yeah, there's also that two part, there's parts on the test where they have to, um, not only listen, but then have to respond. Um, so really, you know, our lessons, um, they're designed to, to replicate that, what they're going to see on the test. Um, and they not, may not be step by step, but in the end, they're going to they're going to be prepared because they're going to they're going to have seen something similar to this before they reach the test. Right. Um, so I, I think that's really important that, you know, we we don't want to just teach to the test because that's not just the skill that they want. Um, we want to just give them skills in general that they can be successful for listening comprehension. Yeah, such a balancing act. I remember that well. And um I think a lot of it depends on the quality of the test, right? If the test is mirroring kind of what, to the extent possible, mirroring what you need to do both academically and socially with the language, then you're in good shape. If it's not, you have to be a little bit more creative. And of course, all these assessments are constantly changing. Um, okay, I, I want to get in the weeds a little bit here um, because we, we've talked about using podcasts as listening comprehension tools on the podcast before. In fact, we had a guy named James Hausworth who's awesome. He's a teacher and he works with multilingual learners and he actually has students create his own podcasts and then put them out. And they're culturally responsive because they talk about the students' experiences. And just, it's just amazing work that he's doing. Um, so he's even thinking beyond kind of language learning there. How can these types of activities in your experience um, contribute to a culturally responsive curriculum while also making those, as I just mentioned, those personal connections with the lived experiences um, of the students? And, and then, and then how do students respond when you share culturally relevant stories? We haven't uh, specifically had an open podcast. That's been a discussion that we've had before. Um, and we love that idea. We're just really developing how we want to go about that. Um, but we've had in the past um, students record speeches or have these uh, just different kinds of conversations that they have recorded um, and used in various ways. But ultimately, students are engaged they're more interested when you have something culturally relevant um, when you get to have students um, talk about themselves or when you have students get to describe their culture or have real connections it just changes everything i mean the dynamic in the class um, when you have uh, an environment like that where they can express themselves um, it just changes everything and so what we've what we've done is really trying to build units or uh, you know just themes in our units where they get to reflect um, 
again, not on ourselves, we've had a unit uh, based on like identity, which is, you know, spending a few weeks, a uh, few months where they've taken a deep dive on themselves. And when they do this, they get to express themselves through reading, writing, speaking, or listening. So it's, it's, um, it's definitely something that we've been focused on in the past. Um, and just a couple other uh, ideas. Um, I know in the past, again, we've done um, the speeches or, or some type of recording, but with like history, um, we found like using, using like listening task for like a primary source or like a real life uh, explanation of an event um, is just different. So for example, for, for history, um, we teach World War II and Japanese internment. Um, so um, Japanese internment is after, um, after the Japanese attacked the United States in 1941, um, our government decided to uh, take anyone who with the Japanese ancestry and put them into camps. Um, so when we're teaching this, we need to teach words like internment mm -hmm. um, or executive order. Um, and so we use like listening task. Um, there's a great one actually on ListenWise, and it's about um, some people who experienced the Japanese internment. So these real life people, the real life connections, um, they make a world of a difference in the classroom. Um, and it, it, again, we can use that for a, a supplemental lesson. We can use that in a classroom to be specific for like comprehension or even the vocabulary, like I discussed earlier. Um, and yeah, there's various ways where we can connect students. Um, but when it's culturally relevant or just in general relevant to students, uh, it really changes the outcome and the vibe of the classroom. Yeah, no doubt about it. I know that sometimes teachers can feel like if they don't have the fancy microphone or the fancy technology that they're not, you know, doing podcasts or they're not doing these formal listening, you know, types of um, assessments or activities or, you know, learning products. So, you know, I just want to encourage our teachers, you know, you don't have to apply for grants. You don't, you know, every student has a device pretty much in their hands. Uh, we have, um, you know, tablets and iPads in our district. So, it's really neat because we can find creative ways to allow students to record their voices. Mm -hmm. um, and several sites are, you know, going big. They're doing broadcasting and adding that to their ELD curriculum and getting, you know, their English learners to help write scripts and, you know, record and edit their weekly school announcements. And, you know, it's just, it's fantastic because they, you know, the students are like getting to see themselves, getting to see students like themselves, hearing, you know, their peers, um, you know, just kind of celebrate a lot of the school and classroom events um, and or talk about themselves and celebrate reclassification. And, you know, just it's it's been really wonderful to see um, several sites, you know, kind of try broadcasting and podcasting. Um, one of our alternate ed sites also has a team of students, um, including some reclassified students and English learners who are helping live stream and report on school and community events. So, you know, just all these authentic ways for students to use their voice. Um, it's really important, as Paul said, to engage students and allow them to be, you know, to feel seen and heard in their classroom, schools, and communities. And these are all great ways to allow students to contribute to their learning community and use their voice and talents in authentic and engaging ways. Yeah, you just said authentic. I think that that kind of sums everything up. That authentic can mean that it's rel it's it's relevant to the student's life. It's also something you you know that you're hearing from a primary source. Um, 
and and just just to kind of reiterate you don't need a, a fancy mic i eventually got this fancy mic but i didn't have it at first and if you had told me that i was going to be doing a podcast in an educational technology company probably three months before I started doing a podcast, I would have laughed at you and 200 episodes later and wonderful guests like you, you know, it works. You don't need that much. You really don't. So um, that's, that's a really important point because you can definitely let um, perfect kind of be the enemy of the good. Um, and there's there's a lot of resources out there. And then the last thing that, I'll, that I took away from that conversation is, you know, it sounds great to get primary resources and to really get those like high quality, culturally responsive materials. But it, 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 if you have to build it on your own as a teacher, it's really, really daunting and difficult. You may want to do it, but then you spend all your time designing something and then you don't really have the time to kind of assess or monitor students. So having the tools, and you mentioned to listen wise, which I know is a great tool, and we've talked to. Uh, Monica Brady Myrov, who is fantastic and has a lot to offer as well. So I, I think that districts, and this isn't a pitch for ListenWise or Elevation or anybody, but you need to be able to invest in the tools that are going to save people um, time. And clearly you've done that. And as I mentioned earlier, you've done it in a way that you've let those tools fit into your goals rather than vice versa. Absolutely. Um, so I got I gotta I gotta mention um, Jeff Sweers, who's a mutual colleague and friend of ours. Jeff's been on the podcast a few times. One of the most intelligent yet humble and approachable people I think that I've ever met. Um, and and you've worked with him on academic conversations. So I want to kind of talk up his work a little bit because if people aren't familiar, they really should be. How have you gone about collaborating with him, and uh, and what have you learned? We are big fans of Dr. Jeff Sweers. Uh, we first started collaborating with him and Sanger, uh, I think about seven years ago when we had an, it was an LTEL grant, so our long-term English learner grant. Um, and we wrote him into um, coming into our district to present a series of academic discourse trainings, uh, specifically for our secondary teachers in grades six through 12. And it was so popular. And he taught us the difference between authentic communication uh, versus pseudo communication um, and all the academic discourse strategies and activities that he's been sharing, you know, across the nation um, and publishing books about has helped improve the quality of our student conversations, especially in our content classrooms when we need our multilingual learners um, to access content in that integrated ELD environment. Um, but I'll let Paul uh, describe some of the other academic discourse strategies that he uses in his classroom. I like that. Let's go right to the source of the classroom teacher, because sometimes <laughs> a guy like Jeff Sweers can come in and it doesn't trickle down. But in this case, I have a feeling it does. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I, I definitely want to uh, to echo that we're, we're big fans. I mean, we've used a, a, quite a bit of his work and we've we've uh, trial and error, see how it works in the classroom. But one of the one of the big takeaways is you're right. The, the whole having students like pair share is different from like real authentic conversations. Um, so, you know, there's a difference between after having a reading or listening and turning to your partner and saying, you know, explain the main idea. Um, we've tried to have you know, what he calls an information gap. So where students have just completely different text or audios or just resources, um, and then they share, um, or it's more reflective of, uh, of themselves. And so what that looks like in the classroom, um, you know, say for example, like a, uh, for my social studies class, um, students have different primary sources or different documents. Um, and then they have to, in a sense, teach each other. 
Um, like uh, it could be uh, the just the, the comprehension piece or the vocabulary that we want to stress, um, or even just the content in general. Um, and it's just a different form of communication in the classroom. Um, and then, you know, as a teacher, you, you can you can just hear it. I don't know how how to ex really explain it. But when you get your classroom and they turn and talk or they're in a group and it's a real conversation, it just sounds different. And uh, for a teacher, it's, it's it's you know, it's great. It's it's like one of those moments where, um, you know, your students are, are truly getting something out of the activity. So, uh, yeah, just really the, the big takeaway was the, you know, the attention to the real language, the real conversation. Um, you know, another big takeaway we, we use uh, a lot in our district with social studies is something called Stronger and Clear. Um, and basically it is a version of, again, sharing with, with others in the classroom. Um, but the goal is to either really develop the academic language being used, the vocabulary, um, or just an overall goal for our students, language-based, where they, their goal is to, when they explain this information, um, they want to be stronger in their uh, explanation um, or very clear in their use of academic language. Um, but the other side of that is students are also listening. Um, so th that is another big takeaway as well. Like our students are going to benefit greatly from each other. So language, you know, when, when we have a conversation, you steal so much language from each other. Um, and we have to teach our students that too. Um, so they can definitely benefit from those real authentic conversations. Yeah, there's that word authentic again. And I think in this case, it really has to do with that. What you said, Paul, and you're right. I, 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 I know exactly what you're talking about. You just feel it and you see it when things are happening authentically and when, and when it's really clicking for students and they're having those conversations. And it can be difficult to like break out of that kind of, I guess I'll call it a rut of where you're doing those pair shares or whatever that are kind of rote and that are a little, until you actually get that feeling that, oh, this is like working. It's hard to kind of know when you're in that rut. And so sometimes it takes um, somebody like, like Dr. Swears to come and, 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 and show you some things or just, but I think uh, a lot of this, I think of like Yoda, you must unlearn what you have learned or something like that. I think he said like, there's like an, it's a little bit of unlearning here, right? It's a little bit of letting go of what you're kind of used to and comfortable with in order to take the next step. I agree. That's, and it's so true with uh, a lot of just teaching practices. There's so much research coming out. There's so many great ideas. Um, you definitely have to be flexible and really just go for it. Um, so I, I, I brought up the idea of just experimenting with my classroom and that's, that's truly how, how it has to go. You have to see what your students are capable of, um, you know, find their baseline and then just grow. So yeah, I, at the beginning of the year, um, it can be rough. I mean, it, it just in, in general for a lot of things, even for writing, um, for speaking, list, like it can be very messy in the beginning. Um, but you know, you set expectations, you set goals and, and you go from there. Yeah. I wanted to add too, I think at a school or district level, it's important to involve your coaches and your administrators so that they know that, you know, when they go into a classroom, just like Paul, you know, they can hear and see when students are having an authentic, engaging conversation. And it's not just for points and it's not just, you know, to check the box and turn and talk and regurgitate what the teacher said. They're actually making meaning of the content and the instruction. And I know with us participating and learning from Jeff Swears, um, 
during our LTEL grant, we were able to see a huge decrease in our LTEL population um, in the school year 2019-2020. We went from 10.8% to 5.5%, just trying wow. some of these strategies, um, which was a huge spike in our reclassification, obviously right before the pandemic, pandemic, but you know, we at least know why these strategies work, you know, why these strategies work well for students and why they work well for teachers too, because you're getting constantly, we talked about assessment earlier. Um, teachers can hear and see in real time if students are comprehending, if they're engaging in that conversation and they have the vocabulary to fully and meaningfully mean, meaningfully participate in those discussions. Yeah, and it's amazing that you have that that data. And I'll just repeat it. I hope I remember correctly, 10.8% to 5.5%. That's telling. And I don't like using only data to tell a story, but you've told the story in all, a lot of other ways throughout this conversation. And to have that data, I think, is... is um, is crucial. Um, okay, as we, I like feel like I could talk about this forever, but you both have um, jobs to do after we do this. Um, so, uh, really important jobs too, by the way. So, I'm going to wrap up by asking two questions. The first, I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, um, and that is, if there is a book or any other resource that's had an impact on you, either personally or professionally, that you'd like to share. I'll start off. Um, you know. Uh, I'm really into books. I'm really into just, you know, research. But one book that really stands out is from Eric Thomas. It's called uh, Average Scale Phenomenal Will. And I feel like that was, uh, especially me during college, figuring out, you know, trying to become a, a teacher. Um, you know, you, you see a lot of teachers with this great talent. Like maybe they're, they're just commanding presence. They have a great voice or whatever it may be. I was not that guy. Um, I was, I was the guy who just worked hard and that's kind of continued through my career. Like I, I don't know, I would pinpoint as a, a great skill for myself, but, um, like just the ability to work and try new things and get better. Um, and I really try to, you know, show that for my students and, and for them to see that in, in uh, in an adult, like, again, there's, um, just that will that, that fight to just get better. Um, and it's really just something that I want to translate um, in the classroom too. just trying new things again, um, helping others. And that book has just really stuck with me. Um, and again, as I grow, I just something that I'm going to continue to do. Um, and, and yeah, I hope that is a reflection of me as well. Love the title of the book and I love the sentiment and just for what it's worth, I would rather have 10 people like you who want to continuously get better and aren't afraid to fail a little bit than, you know, a hundred people who are uh, ultra talented in some way, but become a little bit uh, apathetic because they, they rely on their, whatever it is that they have. So, and I think it's so important, as you mentioned, for teachers to see, I'm sorry, for students to see teachers struggle at times and for students to see teachers say, we're going to take a risk. Not really sure how this is going to go. We're in this together. That's like that. I mean, those were my best classes when I was so horrified about doing something and so unsure of myself. But I said to them, I don't like, I don't know how this is going to go. We're going to try it. And, and you know, you got to be the expert at times, but you also have to, you have to get them on your team. Such an important part of relationship building. So, um, sorry, I went on for a bit there, but thanks for that recommendation. I have not read that book, um, but I am going to read it for sure. All right, Teresa, your turn. Well, I had, a, I always have a hard time with questions like these because I'm constantly reading things that help me just be a better coach in our district um, for multilingual learners and an advocate. So 
I feel like we've had a lot of guidance documents that have come out uh, nationwide and specifically in our state. And so one resource that I've been reading and rereading and reading toolkits of and, you know, Californians Together has partnered um, with the state of California to make meaning of this new California EL roadmap policy that has been pushed out and published. Um, it's been around for a couple years now, but because of the pandemic, it really is going to provide an asset oriented guide um, with clear next steps that can help schools and district recalibrate their multilingual systems, instructions and supports. And I was sharing this with our board um, actually just this week um, on Tuesday. And because pr principle one is, you know, needs responsive um, and assets oriented. Um, and it just, it's something that even simple things like our name, right? So the English Learner Support Division at the, at the California Department of Education, they changed their name to the Multilingual Support Division. Mm -hmm. So we are in that process of a name change, even in Sanger, um, to the Multilingual Services Department to, you know, be able to continue to support our English learners who are multilingual learners and uh, include uh, support for our growing dual language programs. Yeah, and let me just like say that if you're not in California, I'm in New England, right? And I've worked with districts through Elevation all around the country. Um, and I also, also obviously have a lot of these conversations with people. The California Yale Roadmap and California Together as an organization are phenomenal. And the work that they are doing the resources that the that the roadmap has, and I'm not as familiar with it as you are, Teresa, obviously, um, but the work that they did and all of the folks at California together, many of whom have been on this, or a few of whom have been on this podcast before, um, Martha Hernandez being one of them, are phenomenal like resources. Wonderful. So don't think that if you're in another state that it's not useful to you because it is, as is everything that you've mentioned during this conversation. Um, okay, so uh, last question, um, and that's I would like to find out a little more about how people can learn about the work that you're doing. Much of this conversation came about when I learned about a case study that ListenWise created um, for the work you're doing in Sangren. Again, that's thanks to my relationship with Monica brady Myrev, who's great. Um, and we'll link to that in our show notes. But aside from that piece, how can people learn more about the work that you all are doing there? We recently, we talked about Californians together. They released a policy report called Renewing Our Promise, which highlights research and recommendations uh, to support long-term English learners. So that report kind of describes what we had done to see that huge kind of decrease. We cut our LTEL population in half uh, right before the pandemic. And now we're slowly, you know, making our way back as we uh, increase, um, you know, reclassification rates, uh, having our LTAC scores again. Um, but you know, people are welcome to visit our curriculum instruction website. It's www.sangerlearns.com, S-A-N-G-E-R-L-E-A-R-N-S. Um, and we are constantly making updates. We just updated our EL master plan and we've included links there. Um, but there's, you know, always work to do. And we are always excited to collaborate with other districts and um, other teachers uh, just to, like Paul said, continue to grow and and get better and support our multilingual learners. We're in this together. I can't think of a better way to end this conversation aside to thank both of you for the amazing work that you're doing. And thank you for uh, taking the time to share it. And I will say that uh, it was worth the wait. It took a long time, but we finally were able to do it. So Paul, Teresa, um, thanks for the work that you're doing. You are clearly passionate advocates um, and great educators and um, really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Appreciate the time. 
Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.